Good morning. Just going to pray before we look into God's Word. Heavenly Father, it is good to be here this morning, Lord. It's good to be here among your people to give you praise and worship and thanksgiving. It's great to be here, Lord God, as we will go through the weeks of working and school and caring and children and just everything that we do day by day, Lord. It is good to come together and sing your praises and hear the truth of your word. So we give you thanks, Father, for you are worthy of all praise. We ask that you would speak through your word this morning, Lord, and that you would teach us, Lord God, and make us more like Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. This morning we will be reviewing <laughs> the series that took an out, a year from me, um, Philippians 4 verses 1 through 7 from part 1 and 2 of the series, a, a work of spiritual maturity and stability. Then moving into part 3, uh, looking at verses 8 and 9. I would ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. I just want to read over this passage, put it in our hearts. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Odia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. Thank you. In verse 1, we looked at standing firm in the Lord. This means to be stable and to remain steadfast. Not to be moved on what you believe or how you live out the circumstances of your lives. The Apostle Paul expressed his concern for all of us who would follow Jesus Christ to be spiritually stable and to stand firm in the Lord. 
we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, and we spoke about the armor of God that so, He has so graciously given each one of us who are His children to stand firm in the Lord. We talked about this is a defensive posture, not an offensive pas- uh, posture. We are not out there winning victories for the kingdom, but Jesus Christ has won that victory on the cross for us over sin and death itself. We walk in the victory that our Savior has won for us. But how can we have that kind of stability? How can we as Christians grow in this kind of spiritual maturity and stability in our walk with Jesus Christ? Well, in verse 1, he tells us, he says, My beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. And the imperative commands that follow verse 1 outline a path of spiritual maturity and stability. In verses 2 through 9 in Philippians 4, Paul identifies for us six specific points of spiritual maturity and stability. You want to be stable as a follower of Jesus Christ? These are the points of teaching and instruction from the Apostle. In verses 2 through 3, we looked at point number one. Resolve to live in harmony with other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is where it all starts. Verse 2, I urge Odia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion. I ask you also to help these women have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. He is speaking to believers. It starts by committing yourself to Christ and in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's about extending grace and forgiveness to others as God has forgiven us in Christ. We spoke concerning the gospel and its demand upon the believer as we see Christ on the cross reaching out to sinful man and reaching out to a holy God and reconciling us and redeeming us by His perfect love and His mercy. You see, the gospel demands that of us because we were at one time enemies of God and because of His great love and mercy for us, He sent His Son who took upon our sin and went to a cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we turn to Christ in faith and repentance, and we cry out for mercy, God hears us, and he saves us, and he gives us a new heart and a new mind and faith to believe and to live out that faith day after day after day by his grace and for his glory. We look at the relationship. We looked at the relationship of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and how even in their disagreement, how they could continue to extend grace and love towards one another in Christ. We examined what true Christianity looks like, 
and how we should depend on one another for strength and encouragement, accountability, and prayer. We've seen the importance of resolving conflict within the church as soon as possible. Because usually whatever we are disagreeing over is not so important in light of the grace and mercy given to us all in the gospel. Undeserved, unmerited, in Christ. In verse 4, we looked at point number 2, determined to respond to life circumstances with joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We need to learn that our joy is not tied to our circumstances. If you truly believe that God's promises never change, and that He causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, and who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28, if you truly believe that God's character never changes, and in the midst of all our troubles and all our sufferings, God is faithful, and his mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3.23. We need to own that. Because it's not that easy to live out what we just said to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's very difficult. And it challenges us. Challenges our walk with the Lord. Just when you think you are going through a lot, you'll find out somebody that goes through ten times more than you are. And how do we get through it? How do we rejoice in that kind of a circumstance? We keep our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. We keep our eyes on eternity. We keep our eyes on the promises that God gives us in his word, that there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, but we will enjoy Christ forever and ever and ever. In verse 5, we looked at point number 3. Make it your ambition to be known for a gentle spirit. Verse 5 says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men the Lord is near. Interesting how Paul puts this. He doesn't say, have a gentle spirit. He says, be known for a gentle spirit. Make it your ambition. Make it your reputation. Make it your Christian witness to be known for a gentle spirit. So many people say, Steve, I'm, I, I don't have that boldness to go into work and preach the gospel to somebody, you know, to tell them about Jesus Christ. Our gentle spirit is an automatic witness to those around us that there's something special about us, that there's a spirit in us that, that is addictive, that is attractive to them. And usually... Your witness at the workplace and where you are is, how can you be so happy? How can you be so calm? How can you treat people like that that treated you this way? And the answer is, is there's a spirit of Christ that's in me that is willing to forgive. There's a spirit that is in me that's willing to love those who don't do right to me. In verses 6 and 7, we see point number 4. Talk to God about everything. 
I just did this before I came up. <laughs> I remembered this verse. Be anxious for nothing. You got to preach to yourself once in a while. But in everything, Steve, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We, if you remember, we broke this verse down into three parts. The first, we see in the prohibition. Be anxious for nothing. That's what the Lord tells us. Be anxious for nothing. Secondly, we see in the prescription. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That's the key. Let your request be known to God. And thirdly, we've seen the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we are to stand firm in the Lord and walk in maturity and stability as followers in Christ and walk in the victory that Christ has won for us on the cross of Calvary, then let us remember these first four points that the Apostle Paul has, has laid out in these scriptures. Now let us look into this passage deeper and look at our last two spiritual points, verses 8 and 9. Dear brothers and sisters, our thoughts have consequences. What goes on every minute of every day within the six inches between our ears is the most important thing about us. If I could get inside your mind and project your thoughts on the screen that go in your mind day after day, minute after minute, all of us could predict with a high degree of certainty what your character will become and what your destiny will be. What we think will determine who we are. As one person said, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. The Bible puts it this way, Proverbs 27, verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. Our thoughts reflect who we really are. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Our Lord in Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19, points out that when we sin, our actions are not because of what entered into the body physically, but instead it's because of what our minds have digested intellectually. In the early days of computers, there was this saying, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. If you think garbage and expose your heart and mind to garbage, you will live that out in your life. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus traces our sinful behavior back to where sinful hate, uh, this behavior flows. He traces murder, which is something most of us would never even think about, back to the thought of hate. 
he traces sexual sins back to the lust in the heart. That's why the familiar proverb says this, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. How we think defines our character. It determines our future, and it directs our destiny. Scripture has so much to say about the role of the mind in the Christian life. And the one passage in all of Scripture that has the most to say about this is Philippians 4, verse 8. And our fifth point in this sermon. Choose to think about the right thing. Choose to think about the right thing. He says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You see, spiritual stability is about what? Thinking rightly. Now, there are a lot of unbelievers that think believers don't think. I was very surprised the night of the election in 2016 when a commentator, Chris Matthews from MSNBC, said something like this. This was funny. It is shocking that our next president is being chosen by people that actually believe that God created the world in six literal days. I, I got a kick out of that. This world holds to the opinion that Christians are devoid of deep thought and the ability to think right. But the truth is, it's actually their thinking that is twisted and distorted. Listen to what God says about the mind of those who don't come to know him and his word. And the Bible's loaded with it. Romans 1.28, he says their minds are depraved. 2 Corinthians 3.14, their minds are hardened. 2 Corinthians 4.4, their minds are blind. Ephesians 4.17, their minds are futile, meaning worthless. They're pursuing worthless things. Ephesians 4.18, their minds are darkened. Colossians 1.21, their minds are hostile to God. And that's what the gospel is for, Right? It brings us peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ's cross. Their minds are deluded. Colossians 2.8, their minds are deceived. Colossians 2.18, their minds are sensuous, driven by their own desires. And it goes on and on. There's, there's many, many verses. Many verses. That's what God thinks of the minds that have not come to know him or his word. Philippians 3, just back one chapter, verses 18 and 19, says, They're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, who set their minds on earthly things. That's hard. That was the description of all of us before that amazing event of salvation when God breathed life into our souls. 
at that moment called regeneration, God opens up our minds to understand the truth of the gospel and who we are and who he is and respond in repentance and saving faith towards him. He justified us and positionally sanctified us, adopting us as his very own children. Praise God. That's what the Lord has done for each one of us in this great work of salvation. Hebrews 8 verse 10 says, He put his law into our minds and writes them on our hearts. 1 Corinthians 2.16, He has given us the very mind of Christ. This transformation of our mind that occurs in salvation This transformation, the moment we believed, initiates a lifelong process in which our minds are gradually renewed and our thinking patterns are changed by the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is called progressive or practical sanctification. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul sets the stage in describing this amazing reality of God's mercy in salvation. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Then he says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world. Now, what does that mean? Very interesting expression. Literally, it means don't allow your mind to be pushed into the mold of this age. Don't be conformed to the values, to the mindsets that characterize the age in which you live. But instead, he says, be transformed. This word transformed in the English is metamorphous. Be metamorphosized, he says, by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. When God saved us, he changed our mind. He allowed us to see with spiritual eyes. He allowed us to understand truth and to respond to the gospel of peace. By God's grace and for his glory, this process continues throughout our Christian lives as God continues to work within our hearts and our minds. It is our minds that play a critical role in our walk with Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus says, He commands us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and here it is, with all your mind. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 16, Paul tells us to pray with our minds, to sing with our minds, as we are led by the Spirit. This morning, when we lifted our voices in worship, when Psalm 139 was read, did your mind engage in the words? Because 
if you look at the song sheet and you read the words, by God's grace, this church is faithful to the word and faithful to Christ. It preaches the gospel. Just the words that we sung this morning preaches the gospel. Our minds and our hearts and our will are inseparable in worship and living out the Christian life. As we approach Philippians 4, Paul is making this point, point very clear as followers of Christ. We must set our minds on Christ and his word. Standing firm in the Lord is based on how believers think. If this morning you would, be, you would honestly characterize yourself as spiritually unstable and immature, then I can promise you that a great deal of your problem is how you think and what you choose to think about. Spiritual warfare begins in the heart and the mind. Let's take a quick look at Psalm 139 that my brother read this morning where David underscores the same point. In verses 23 through 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Now, there are a couple conclusions we can make from these verses. First, which is very frightening, is that God knows our thoughts. In fact, if you go earlier in verse 2, it says God knows our thoughts from afar, from a distance. Secondly, any real and lasting change in our lives must begin with our thoughts. David said, God, ransack my heart. Pull it apart. Search my thoughts, Lord. Then, then I will be able to pursue the everlasting way. Real lasting change starts within. It starts in our mind. Now back in Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul starts with this word, finally. And this word does not like mean like, you know, oh, here's the preacher, he's going to be ending his sermon, we have some kind of hope that we got about five minutes left. No, Paul's not doing that here. The word finally means he's approaching the end of these brief set of commands to becoming spiritually mature and stable. And now he is giving us a fresh idea. And in this verse, verse 8, he introduces a grid of eight virtues that are to regulate what we allow in our minds. These are parameters for the Christian mind and thought life. Okay, Mark Harrigan, here we go. <laughs> Love when he does this. So, here's the church, and here's the main aisle of the church. And I'm 250 pounds, 6 foot 2, and I'm pretty strong from the waist up. So here comes Mark Harrigan. And I got these parameters in place. I got the pews on each side, so I can restrict him just, just to this area here. 
I'm pretty confident I can stop him. I am. I feel comfortable here. I feel secure here. But if I open up the whole church to Mark, he's going to get right past me because he's fast. He can run. You seen him bounce off the floor a couple weeks ago? But as long as these parameters are in place, I'm secure. I feel strong here. God has given us his word. He has set parameters within his word for our walk with Jesus Christ. And if we stay in his word and we keep our eyes on the cross and we keep in fellowship with God's people and if we stay in God's word and we are taught and we listen to what Christ says to us, we can stand firm in the Lord. We can put on the armor every morning and stand firm in the Lord in our lives, wherever he has us. Because as soon as I stray to the left or I stray to the right, over here I'm weak. Over here I'm vulnerable. Over here Mark Harrigan flies right by me. But here, I'm strong. I'm strong in the Lord by his grace. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his word. I tried it. <laughs> See how it goes. <laughs> but anyway, that, I just wanted to give you that illustration. And in the year of 2020, we need to find that middle aisle in our life. And we need to stand strong in the Lord. We need to guard our hearts and our minds, what we put in our minds, what we put in our hearts, how we walk with Jesus Christ every day. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you must think like this. Now look at this list. You'll see, first of all, there are six specific criteria. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is of good repute. And then we have two general overarching summaries, just in case something didn't fit. He says, if there is anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You see, these eight virtues are the rules that God has set down for a thought life that honors him. Now, ultimately, these verses can only be fulfilled by what? Thinking of God's word. God's word is the only thing that perfectly meets these criteria. But if that was all that Paul meant in verse 8, just think about God's word. He would have said it. Just think about God's word all the time and you'll be fine. So why does he give us this list? Because Paul lived in the real world. Uh, I sometimes forget that. We sometimes think that Paul was in some ivory tower somewhere and didn't face the things that we face. No, he lived in the real world and because of that, he knew that we have to think of other things other than Scripture. When I go to work, I can't think about Scripture the whole time I'm at work. I have to focus on my job. I have to do what, God, what, what, what my boss calls me to do. In school, you need to study. You need to pass tests. At home, you need to take care of your children and get them ready for school and, 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 and all this stuff. So we can't always think about God's Word. 
And so he teaches us how to live in our world and think in God's world. Let us look at these specific qualities. Whatever is true, he says, our thoughts are to be true. This refers to what is genuine, what is real, and not what is false and made up. In Acts chapter 12, when Peter's put in prison and the angel comes in the middle of the night and frees him, in verse 9 it says, Peter went out and continued to follow. And he didn't know what was being done by the angel was real. This word real is our word true. Because he thought he was seeing a vision. So our thoughts need to be real. What does that mean? It means our thoughts are to conform to reality. So many of us allow our minds to focus on what? Worries, right? Imaginary worlds of fear. But there are other kind, there's another kind of application in our day, and that's amusement. Funny, <laughs> interesting word. This word muse means uh, to think. Ah is a negative. So ah muse means not to think. It's something that is done without thinking. You ever see people, can't, I, I, I see this at work, and anytime, anywhere they are, they need something blasting. Whether it's music, TV, they always need something blasting. They need this amusement all the time. I think that's why God says, be still and know that I am God. It's good for us to sit in quiet and to think and reflect about God and about our lives. Now, it's okay to have a little bit of this. It's okay to rest our minds at times. But many, including Christians, live in imaginary worlds of fiction and fantasy in our minds and let unhealthy amounts of fear, worry, and doubt, novels, television, movies, and computer games deepen our minds and our souls. We must choose as Christians to primarily think of what is true, that which conforms itself to reality, opposed to that which is unreal and imaginary. He says whatever is honorable. This word honorable is found in Titus and Timothy, and it speaks of the qualities of a deacon or an elder. This word is translated dignified. This is a rich word. And it's very hard to translate with one English word, and it was often used in the Greek world to describe that which is noble, majestic, and that which demands honor and respect. It refers to lofty things, thoughts that lift your mind from the cheap and the vulgar to that which is noble. Let's be honest. We live in a base vulgar society. I was upstate last weekend, and I watched four men at a table. They had to be 70 plus. And the language that they was using and the things they were talking about, I, I just shook my head. I walked out of that store, and I said, Lord, you are, 
come soon. I used to look at older men, mature men with respect, you know, that they've lived life, they're wise, they've, they've come to some point in their life where they realize God is very important to them. I, I almost cried listening to these men talk. It was very sad. This is the society that we are living in. More and more for our children that are growing up in this. This is so important to them about their minds and guarding their hearts. Because we may have been attacked when we were young, but they're on full court press the day and age that we live today. I mean, look at some of the most, these people that are being emulated today in the, in the sports world, in the music industry, popular TV shows. They're the antithesis of these virtues in God's word. We as God's children are to look away from the role models of the world and focus our minds on those who display honorable qualities in their lives. He says whatever is right. This is a very common word used in the New Testament and usually translated righteous. It refers to that which meets a standard. Let me give you an illustration. In the Old Testament, this word was used when God says, I want you merchants to use right or righteous weights. In the ancient world, you would do commerce by scales. Merchants would shave a little weight off of one weight and add a little weight on the other to give them a dishonest advantage in a transaction. God said, I want you to use right or righteous weight that conforms to a standard. That's what this word means. And applied to this passage, our thoughts must conform to the standard of which God says is the acceptable standard of righteousness or right behavior laid out in his word. He says whatever is pure. This word embraces the idea of moral purity and holiness. It is the opposite of dirty and sleazy. In fact, it is often used in contrast to sexual sin. Any kind of impurity is not to dominate our thought life. Let me ask, are you choosing the right things to think about, which would be considered pure? God says, that's how I want Christians to think. Jesus said, blessed is the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Whatever is lovely. This is the only use here in this text in the New Testament. It basically means that that which inspires love. It's that which people consider lovable, lovely, attractive, winsome. It is opposite of that which we would consider disgusting. It is something that gives pleasure to all and distaste to none. It's like a welcoming fragrance when you walk in a room. We are to set our minds on the things that are attractive in life, the things that are wholesome rather than repulsive and disgusting. And you just flick those channels on that TV and it's all over. Whatever is of good repute, this word is only found here in the New Testament. 
It means we are to focus our minds on those things of good reputation and that which is highly spoken about by those who are followers of God. Now that's not an exhaustive list, but there are a lot of other qualities and virtues that should characterize our thoughts. So Paul gives us two overarching summaries that will captive, capture any virtue that could be left out. He says whatever is excellent, and that word excellent was a common Greek word often used as virtue. This was a big Greek concept. But here it informs us not with Greek thinking, but New Testament thought. It's probably best translated, this word here, we find in 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Peter 1.5, where it says moral excellence. If there is any moral excellence, think or dwell on these things. Then he adds this other at the end. Anything worthy of praise. This refers to anything that is deserving of both man and God's praise. You know, my kids were young, and they'd say, Hey, Dad, can I go to that movie? Can I go see that movie? Or, you know, can I do that? And I'd say, Listen, open up your Bible, go to Philippians 4.8, and just run it down those parameters that God gives us, and then you make your own decision whether you should go there or not. He says, listen, focus your mental energy on what is morally excellent and that what deserves the praise of man and God. And Paul concludes verse 8 by saying, dwell on these things. It can mean to calculate or to take into account or evaluate, but there's another sense of this word in which I believe he intends here in verse 8, which means to ponder to reflect, to meditate. It's a focused consideration of something. Now let me give you two applications because this passage is very applicable to our lives. Let us step back and look at the big picture here. This gives us a look at what spiritual warfare is and why we need the parameters of God's word. First of all, this passage tells us that we need to all be aware of unbiblical philosophies that may influence us. Take a look at 2 Corinthians for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Paul puts this very clearly in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Our battle is not against the flesh. Verse 4. For our weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now that's an interesting picture of our lives, isn't it? We are destroying fortresses. So what does that mean? Notice verse 5. We are destroying speculations. The Greek word for speculations are these words. Philosophies, ideologies, ways of thinking, worldviews. We are destroying those speculations, and look at the end of this, 
and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. That's the warfare. Our thought life plays a key role in spiritual warfare. Every mindset, every value system, every ideology, every philosophy that exalts itself up against God. Now listen, every time we are exposed to anything from this world, we are always bombarded by philosophies. Movies, television shows, books, everywhere we go, and everyone we talk to in this world, you and me are confronted with philosophies. There is a speculation, an ideology that drives those encounters that we have. You notice verse 5, he says this, Take each thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Don't let that speculation, that philosophy, influence your thinking. Stay in that center aisle. Paul says, beware and use the word of God to battle these influences. For example, can you pick up a history book without it clearly teaching absolutely evolution, that it's an absolute established fact? Can you watch most TV shows without them teaching it's okay to live together and not be married or to have relationships with somebody that you're not married to? We are bombarded with these ideologies, these philosophies. Our children are. And we need to teach them God's word so they can stand firm in the Lord. Paul is saying, don't allow the world to corrupt your biblical way of thinking. Don't allow the philosophies of the day to, de- to dictate how you think or how you live. We are to destroy these speculations and ideologies that raise up against the truth of God's holy word. This is the battleground for all of us as we commit our lives and our walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ. If you have a computer like mine and you're on the internet, you have some kind of antivirus protection, right? Something on your computer that is constantly looking at what comes in, right? Filtering through it, looking for things that would negatively affect the operation of it, to corrupt it. That's what we are doing in our hearts and minds and our thoughts. We are constantly sifting through them. We are using God's Word as our own antivirus protection, protecting our hearts and our minds from those things that would corrupt us, that would negatively affect us. You know, my son's got it. My son Stephen's got it. I was in his room. He's got verses of Scripture on the back of his door. I thought that was so great. He gets it. He goes to bed looking at those verses. He gets up in the morning looking at those verses. He reminds himself of the gospel and what Christ has done for him. He reminds himself when he goes out to this world who he is in Christ. I think that's great. You know, that's what we need to do. We need to constantly be using God's Word in our hearts and in our minds. Second application is, 
Choose to set your mind on only those things that meet these standards put forth in God's word. In Philippians 4.8. It's a rich passage. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, God says this. Listen to this carefully. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. That's what we're talking about today. There's a lot of things that go on around us. There's a lot of things that confront us and our thinking every day. There is a lot of decisions we make concerning what we read, what we talk about, and what we watch on TV. What we expose our hearts and our minds to. Paul is saying, think about everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Our final point in the sermon, and it's a short one. Constantly choose to meditate on God's word. Constantly choose to meditate on God's word. You see, if the only thing we know, it's the only thing that we know that perfectly meets the criteria for this passage. In Psalm 1, which we are all very familiar with, David begins with a contrast between the way of the righteous, right? And the way of the wicked. He begins by saying, the righteous man delights in the law of the Lord. He finds his joy and satisfaction in the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. To think like a Christian is to think in line of God's word. What you choose to think about will determine your actions, your habits, your character, and ultimately your destiny. Think about those parameters this week and this year. Here's what spiritual maturity and stability looks like in the life of a believer. Number one, a believer is resolved to live in harmony with other brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel demands it. Number two, determined to respond to life's circumstances with joy. You need to fight for this. You need to keep your eyes on the cross and remember the promises we have in God's word. Number three, make it your ambition to be known for a gentle spirit. This is your witness in this world. This is the salt and light that we have in Christ. Talk to God about everything. Walter says this all the time to us. This intimacy we can have with Christ, that we can share our fears and our heartaches and our joys. We can talk to God about everything. Choose to think about that which is right. This year, let us guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Let's not allow the world and its ideologies and its philosophies to corrupt what God has renewed when he saved us. And constantly choose to meditate on God's word, growing more and more in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we're going to finish with verse 9, and I'm just going to read it. It speaks for itself. Here is the promise. Paul says, and I, and I hope and pray that I could say this to my family and children. I hope I could pray, I pray that I could say this to the people that surround me for the last 
14 years on my job. Everybody involved in my life, I hope and pray that my witness for Christ would be this. Paul says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you.